Support for Innovation Hub comes from Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, working to unleash the immune system's power to fight cancer and help develop promising new therapies. Videos, white papers, and patient stories are available at discovercarebelieve.org. Support for Innovation Hub comes from Cambridge Savings Bank. Introducing the CSB1 package, a checking account combined with investing through Connect Invest to help you build a better tomorrow. cambridgesavings.com/csb1. Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. In 2014, a strange thing happened during the confirmation of a political appointee. Now, the job the person wanted is one that most of us pay no attention to, ambassador to Argentina. But the headline around this nomination was magnetic. The nominee had never actually been to Argentina. President Obama didn't seem too worried. He'd made the nomination and he got it through. He had actually nominated an ambassador to Hungary the year before, whose main accomplishment was that she was a producer of the soap opera, The Bold and the Beautiful. So why were these people nominated? Well, because they and people that they associate with were big money political contributors. The argument against that way of doing things, and clearly President Obama did not start the trend of giving out political favors, nor will he probably be the last person to do it, The argument against it is, we want real experts making decisions for the country, not people who golf with the president or who got him elected. Parag Khanna is a senior research fellow at the National University of Singapore, and he says, there's a name for the sort of experts that we should be embracing more, technocrats. But what America's done, in his view, is reject technocrats and label them something else, something that often feels like an epithet. Technocrats is not a synonym for elites. Otherwise, we wouldn't need the word technocrats. Kana says that what we can ask technocrats to do is find pragmatic solutions to problems. But the rumbling that he's been hearing from the public is kind of different. Down with the technocrats, out with the technocrats. Uh, you know, this, re, re, Trump's election represents uh, a rejection of Obama and his sort of soulless technocrats. That's just nonsense because Obama didn't have a lot of technocrats either. America, quite frankly, doesn't have a lot of technocrats. And to be fair, the labeling of career civil service folks as elites or useless bureaucrats, that's not new. In 1976, a presidential candidate staked his candidacy on the claim that bureaucrats were ruining communities in all sorts of ways, including things like enforcing school busing. Now, that candidate lost in the primary. He didn't even make it to the general, but his message had staying power. And so did the messenger. His name was Ronald Reagan. I've met Americans, and I would suggest that if there's going to be any forced busing, it ought to be periodic forced busing of the Washington bureaucracy out into the country to meet the real people. Rog Khanna argues not that that sort of rhetoric isn't attractive, but that it isn't effective, and that it's time for something new. In a new book, Technocracy in America, Khanna says that places like Singapore and Switzerland, and to a lesser extent Germany, which rely more than we do on technocrats, have reaped tremendous benefits in the last few decades. Kana spoke with me from Singapore, and he claims, provocatively, that America today far better represents degenerative politics than good governance. 
So the World Bank, for example, has something called the Worldwide Governance Indicators. They look at 36 metrics of issues like political participation, accountability of the government, the, you know, freedoms and rights of people, civic rights, social rights, economic rights, um, you know, progress in terms of um, uh, per capita income. We should really be looking uh, not just at the uh, average income, but the median income, since, of course, uh, the United States, like many other countries, is, is quite unequal in terms of income distribution. Um, it's things like public safety, education standards, and attainment. Very, very prosaic, mundane, measurable things that all in all, all taken together, add up to the good life. And if you take a broad sort of selection of these measures, um, again, it's been known for quite some time. I, I documented this pretty thoroughly in my first book, uh, The Second World, about 10 years ago, that the U.S. is declining in these metrics, while other countries, uh, take former Soviet republics in Eastern Europe, for example, countries in East Asia like Korea or Taiwan or um, Singapore, are rising uh, quite rapidly. And so it's not that there is this full displacement going on, but remember one thing, like any other bad habit. The further you fall behind, the further you let it all hang out, the longer it takes to, to rebuild and to regroup and to get back on top. If you buy into the idea of technocrats, they shouldn't be first and foremost Republican or Democratic cheerleaders. They should be trying to figure things out like, how do we get the most people, the best health care at the cheapest price, no matter what you call the plan and no matter how much interest group lobbying there's been? Technocrats are the folks with their heads down. They're problem solving. If you don't know how to actually administer and run policies through large bureaucracies, you're not a technocrat. You're an interloper. And our government is full of them. So a technocrat not only has the pedigree, but they also know how to get things done. And I dare say that's our great deficiency. No country has as many smart people as America. That's not our problem. Our problem is translating them to getting things done. If you're interested in what one alternative system looks like, consider Switzerland. Kana says it's based on an idea that American politicians have long embraced, a team of rivals. They have a seven-member federal executive council. Those seven individuals come from three or four different political parties. It's formed through a coalition, so it's representative of the, the balance of power within the parliament. There is, it rotates, there's a first among equals, but it rotates every, uh, you know, sort of a cycle of, of one year. So there's reciprocity. If there's stalwarts and holdouts, um, you know, who are, say, misbehaving or blocking consensus among the seven, guess what? You know, the position is going to rotate in a year and then everyone's going to gang up on you. And if anyone knows anything about Swiss politics, again, it's a small country, but they have serious, you know, big divisive political issues. It's a very diverse country. They're dealing with a lot of turbulence in Europe, and yet they still manage to always take smart, long-term decisions. Now, some of the most technocratic countries in the world are not really democracies in the same way that the U.S. is, like Singapore. But Kana says if the U.S. could incorporate more technocrats into our brand of democracy, our leaders might not be as flashy, but they could be more effective. Here's his vision. Quite frankly, it's more democratic than what we have now because one of the steps in this picture that, that we're painting is that you would have mandatory voting because countries like Australia and Belgium and others do have that. Singapore has mandatory voting. And by the way, not everyone votes for the ruling party. Uh, they win a lot of seats, but uh, it's, uh, it's across the spectrum. So um, the fact is that we should have mandatory voting because once people really do have to vote, they might pay more attention you know, to, the, to the information. So that's a bit of behavioral nudging, uh, if you will. 
thrown in there. But uh, you would have this collective presidency in the executive branch. You would have a multi-party system, right? Again, there's nothing in the Constitution that says we should only have two political parties. All of the countries that are ranked higher than the United States in terms of the quality of their democracy are multi-party parliamentary systems. So I would, uh, be, I would I feel that we should have three or four political parties that hold each other much more accountable. I have advocated replacing the Senate with what I call an assembly of governors. I believe governors are much more competent administrators and much more knowledgeable about the kinds of policies that we need on a national scale, and, and that we should have really two governors for each state, one that's in the state capital, one that's in Washington. So I kind of flesh that out. I believe we should have a Supreme Court who's tasked with thinking about constitutional modifications. Obviously, all branches of government and, and the public have to be involved in constitutional modifications, but the Supreme Court and its members on the bench shouldn't always just be taking the fifth uh, about how they feel we need to evolve our constitution. So you don't have to buy Switzerland. You don't have to buy Singapore. You certainly don't have to buy China. You don't, really have, you don't have to believe that China is a better government because it's not. But you can definitely learn from how other countries do certain things. And it is a myth uh, to think that we can't do them. Parag Khanna is a senior research fellow at the National University of Singapore and the author of Technocracy in America. You can find our discussion with Parag Khanna or any of today's stories about leadership by grabbing our podcast. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. From PRI and WGBH Radio, I'm Kara Miller, and this is Innovation Hub. Support for Innovation Hub comes from Cambridge Savings Bank. Introducing the CSB1 package, a checking account combined with investing through Connect Invest to help you build a better tomorrow. CambridgeSavings.com/CSB1.